doing is, just like before a baby is born, the DNA that's going to determine the hair color, the eye color, uh, whether they're going to be like pumped and athletic like me, or whether they're going to be, you know, cute like Dale, is, is all determined before the baby, like really from the very beginning, the DNA is there that's determining all of that. And so we are not launched yet. We're not, as you can tell, it's really rough around the edges, just like if you're testing a piece of beta software. But they give you beta software for free, and this is free. We're not charging you anything. <laughs> to come to this, um, and what we're doing is we're developing that DNA. We're sharing and developing together what makes us and will make us who we are. I, I can't tell you for certain what Doxa will look like five years from now. I have a pretty good idea what we'll be doing and some basic things, but I can't tell you for certain what it's going to look like because I don't know who all God is going to bring us and what is what we're going to do. It's going to be exciting to see that unfold, just like you don't know what your baby is going to look like and what their personality is going to be when they're first born. But I can tell you there are certain elements that are going to be at the core of everything that we do. And it's the four things at the bottom of this banner. Rule works for the wear now. You see, I, I didn't pull it up very well last week. But Jesus, worship, community, and mission. First of all, we are all about Jesus. We're all about Jesus. In fact, it's not just us, but the whole world, all creation is all about Jesus. Colossians says that... that let me share that. Just tell me that will get us... Uh, going for a little bit of worship tonight. Colossians chapter 1. Paul just opens up the can right off the bat in uh, Colossians 1. He describes Jesus in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. So, he came to show us who God is, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we are all created by Jesus, and we are all created for him, and we will never know what like are the purpose of our existence is. We won't know true happiness and joy until we know Him. And that's why we are all about Jesus. And the response to knowing who He is is worship. Because just as anything that you place value on, you can't help but to respond in worship to it. We all worship something. And as Finding out that Jesus is the preeminent one of all creation, our heart responds back to him in worship. And then that frees us to live life in community. We live in a world where we are so connected to everybody, Facebook, Twitter, email, text messages, all back and forth. We're always in some kind of conversation, watching conversation, eavesdropping in conversation, seeing what, you know, what grocery store did Beth go to today? What, what... Where's James playing golf today? Like, 
we really care, but we, we, it helps us feel connected to each other. But the problem is, even though we are far more connected via communication than we've ever been before, people are more lonely than they've ever been before. People are more isolated than they've ever been before. And the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, frees us to be ourselves. Because we recognize that my right standing before God, my standing before you as as a fellow believer in Jesus isn't based upon what I do. It's not based on whether I had my quiet time today or I went to church last week. My right standing, my being a part of the body of Christ is all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And that's what enables us to take the mask off. We don't have to come to church and be all smiley and, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you doing? Oh, it's blowing up. Life is going awesome. I couldn't, I just argued with my wife on the way over here and I yelled at my kids at home, but I can't tell you that because then you know I'm human. But the power of the gospel is that it enables us, it frees us to be human. It frees us to be real. We can be real about my mess, and you can be real about your mess, because the power of the gospel enables us to do that. And then what we're going to be talking about tonight is, then that propels us on mission. The church, from day one, has always been something that was had movement to it. It's always been something that's growing. It's awesome because people are looking for a purpose in life. They're looking for something bigger than themselves to be a part of. That's actually part of the appeal of sports. Sports is a huge deal in America, but part of the appeal of sports is that I can be a part of something that's bigger than I am. There are thousands of other people pulling for the same team as I am, and we're all in team together. And the really cool thing about the body of Christ, about the church, is that we are called together as a community to be on mission with Jesus. Jesus today is doing the same thing he was doing 2,000 years ago when he was walking the earth. He came on earth as a mission, as a missionary, to win us to himself. And as a part of his community, as a part of his family, he's called us to join him in that mission. It gives us a great purpose in life is something that's bigger than we are, it's bigger than ourselves. Let's start at Acts chapter 1. In verse. Let's go with verse 7. That's 1 7. Let's go ask the kids outside if you hear them going on. We'll start with verse 6. Uh, so Jesus has died and buried, he's resurrected, and he's appeared to hundreds of believers through, uh, through the course of 40 days. In fact, at one time, he's, he appeared before 500 believers at one time, which is a pretty amazing fact. When, if you ever are tempted, like I am, very often to doubt like, if, if this thing is really real, if people around you doubt if this thing is really real, like... The, the, the resurrection of Jesus isn't a historical fact. It's something that is, there were eyewitnesses that saw him that bore witness to it years and years afterwards. In fact, you have the apostle 
uh, Peter and John saying, hey, it's not just us that are saying this. There are other eyewitnesses. You can go and check with them. They saw the same thing. But it's just a little cool fact. And so after they get to the end of that 40 days and Jesus calls them all together on the, on the top of this mountain. And when they had come together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The, the disciples that Jesus called weren't exactly the brightest bulbs. Uh, they weren't the sharpest pencils in the pack. They, um, they, all, they totally misunderstood what Jesus was going to do the whole time. And that should give you and I great encouragement. When we constantly are boneheaded and we make boneheaded moves and we miss the point that we fit right in with the very first disciples that Jesus called to himself. They were, they were, they were the salt of the earth. We'll call them that. Have you ever been to, to Walmart late on a Saturday night? late on a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon, and you see the people that are gathered there, that's the, the salt of the earth. Have you ever seen the blog, People of Walmart, anybody? You look at me like I'm crazy, but you know, you had the same thought. Like the people of Walmart, like that's the salt of the earth. That's the kind of people that Jesus called to himself. That's the kind of people. So we fit right in with that. And so... He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So then they returned to Jerusalem. And then look in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then on the, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It goes on to say that they were all gathered there and all of a sudden they heard this ruckus, this uproar going on. And so they all gathered out in the street. What in the world is going on here? And these disciples, these timid, uh, you know... Maybe they were in resource class, coming up in, in, you know, they were really, they were fishermen. They were, they were guys who worked by the sweat of their brow, worked with their hands. They weren't the, they weren't the academic crowd. They weren't the, 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 the movers and shakers. They didn't have thousands and thousands of dollars to their name. They were just normal, everyday people. And they were scared after Jesus died. They went into hiding. But something happened. When the promise came, Jesus told them, I have a mission for you. I want you to go and take my word to Jerusalem, that's the city you're in, to Judea, that's the region surrounding it, to Samaria, which is like a short missionary trip, and to the ends of the world, which is pretty crazy when you don't have planes and trains and motorized boats. You know, it's very difficult to get into all the world, but that's what he told them their job was going to be, but he said, wait. <clears throat> These same disciples that were in hiding, 
up until this day, all of a sudden, they came out with boldness. And the people asked them, what is going on? And they said, we'll tell you. And Peter got up, the same Peter who had denied Jesus three times, and he preached a sermon. And at the end it says that 3,000 people became Christians that day. That's pretty amazing. Jesus has called us to a mission to make disciples. That's what he said before before he left in another, in Matthew and in Mark and Luke, he said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. It's good news of what has happened to all the world. And I'll be with you always. We are all called on mission. We're all called to join this. See, Jesus was a missionary. Jesus lived in heaven. In a pretty comfy pad. He had, you know, things pretty good, right? I mean, you're in heaven in your in your God. Things are going pretty smooth and pretty good for you. But the Father says, I have a job. I've made these people, and they have sinned against me, and they are separated from us. I need to make a way to win them back, to purchase them back to cover their sin, to erase their sin and bring them back to us. And Jesus said, I'll go. And so he left the comfort, the poshness of heaven and he came to earth as a peasant Jew and lived a perfect life among people like you and me. He learned the culture, he learned the language, he worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. And then he sacrificially gave his life so that we would be able to come to God. And that is the kind of life that God has called us as believers to lead. He's called us to joyfully leave our comfort and our security and live a life of sacrificial love and mission for the people that God has won for himself by the blood of Jesus. That's the life he's called us to lead. Look at, now look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. That promise of the Holy Spirit is really the heart of of it's really the heart of the good and the good news. If the gospel that Jesus has um, has come and paid a penalty that I could not pay for my sin to unite me to, to God, if that's the good news, the really good part of it is that God has said, I will win you to me. And I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell in and among you. So the people of God, the church, the family of God, is not just, it's not just the people who happen to believe in the Bible. We are set apart from everybody else in the entire world. Not this group of people here, but all the believers are set apart from the rest of the world because God's presence himself 
is in and among us. That was the great promise that he, that he told them to wait for. That the Holy Spirit was coming to dwell in them and to dwell among them. That he would be their God and they would be his people. There would be a, there, there would be a, a, a presence and a power among them because the person was there. A capital P person. God himself in our midst, in us, and among us. And that's the distinguishing feature of the people of Jesus Christ, is that his presence is in us and among us, and it changes who we are, it changes the way we act. It gives us the power that we need for the mission that he has given us to make disciples. He described it in Matthew 5, 14 as saying, You, speaking to the disciples, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what he's talking about there? He's saying that you being my people, the way that you live your life, the way that you go about your life is going to be so remarkably different that it'll be like light in the middle of darkness. It'll be like It'll be like we are, you are going to be an outpost. You're going to be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven set in the middle of a foreign, dark, enemy land. You know, the cool, the cool thing about embassies is the American embassy in the middle of China isn't on Chinese ground. It's on American soil. That that bit of land that we own, that the embassy is sitting on, is actually American soil. China, the Chinese government does not have authority over that compound. It's American soil. Even though all around it is all, you know, you can describe it as enemy territory. It's all... Um, it's all a totally different culture, a totally different language, a totally different way of doing things. But if you're an American and you're there and you can get past the gates of the compound, you're safe. And likewise, when the Chinese pass that embassy, they, they see a different way of living. They see a different way of doing government, of doing life. That's the way the church is supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be an outpost, an embassy in the middle of enemy territory. We're all around maybe darkness. It's a different language. It's a different culture. It's a different set of values. It's a different background than we had now. But the, the crazy thing is we used to be there. That used to be who we are. But we have been translated Adopted into this new family, and now we live in this city. And we, but we still live here. We still have jobs. We have homes. We have responsibilities. We have neighbors. We have friends. We have family. And so we still buy and sell. We still start businesses. We design buildings. We create art. We write music. We sing. We laugh. We have parties. We we have entertainment. We work. We start businesses. All, all the stuff that is involved in society, we still do all those things, but we do them from a totally new set 
of values as a part of a whole new culture. And just by us doing that, it shines a light. If you're a businessman and you conduct business from a different set of values than somebody else, from a set of values that you're not out trying to get everything, you're still trying to make money, but you're not out trying to swindle and try to, uh, try to trick people. You're operating in honesty. You admit whenever it's your wrong. You're not blaming on somebody else. You're not, you just say, hey, that's my bad. I did that. That's, I, I apologize. That stands out in a world that's all out for themselves and full of greed. When the world looks in and sees a group of people that don't count what they own as simply their own, but they live a life of sacrificial love and service to each other, and if you have a need and I have the ability to help fill that need, I'm going to fill, fill that, not out of obligation, but because out of this overwhelming love that Jesus has planted in my heart, that stands out. See, it's not just the sacrifice that I make. If, if the shanks have a need and I can fill that need and I help fill that need, it's not just the sacrifice. It's the change in my heart that happens through the power of the gospel and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that enables me to do that with joy. That's the difference. And that shines like a city set on a hill. So a city is made up of a lot of different buildings a lot of different windows. And each one may not be very, it might be a little, a little small hut. It might be just one apartment in a giant apartment building in a giant city. But you put all those lights together and they flicker and they shine and you can see them for miles and miles and miles. It stands out. That's what the church is called to be and is called to look like. Look at Jeremiah verse 29. Verse 4. So what had happened was Israel and Judah had been taken into captivity. They disobeyed, but disobeyed God and had just had been hard, hard neck, hard hearted, far from him, and he had warned them. Now he finally sends them to captivity. And what had happened is they're, they're in the middle of Babylon, and there are prophets in their midst, religious leaders, societal leaders, who say, Look, and this makes sense, right? Look, we're in the middle of Babylon, we're in enemy territory. Guys, let's just stick to ourselves, let's hunker down. God's promised that eventually he'll bring us back to Israel. Don't don't build houses, don't, don't do anything, don't build a garden, don't start a business, just keep, like, let's just keep a low profile until God calls us back to go back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah sends this letter to the exiles there saying something very different. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may bear sons. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But he's saying, look, you're the middle, you're exiles, just like we are. The Bible calls us sojourners, calls us exiles, calls us aliens in the current land that we're in, the way the, this world system, the way it works. And he says, don't just like hang, hide in your house and wait for Jesus to come back. He says, get out there, build buildings, start businesses, have families multiply that because, because by doing so, he will show his glory to the city that you're in. He's saying operate like a city within a city. A totally different set of values, a totally different culture, but you're exhibiting by the way that you live your life, by the way that you do your business, the glory and beauty of God. So part of the exciting calling of life that we have is to use our natural abilities, our natural talents, the jobs that we have, all the stuff that we have. We all have particular talents in here, right? Some of us are artistic, some of us are athletic, some of us are you know, really smart, some of us are, are all of those things, some of those... <laughs> I know, not me. Just I was like, some people are all those things. I don't know why you guys thought I was saying that, but um, I mean, I'm flattered that you would think that. But seriously, um, he's called you to use those natural gifts and talents that you have for his glory. I have a friend who, for some reason, all his life has wanted to be an architect. All his life. He's kind of, kind of, I always joke with him, he was kind of like uh, George Costanza on Seinfeld. You know, he, he would never really had any career, um, but whenever he would meet somebody, he wanted to impress them, he would tell them that he was an architect. Um, I was joking with my friend that that's, that's what he was like. But my friend, and the tradition, he was a Christian, the tradition that he grew up in, he, he thought like the way that you serve Jesus had to be through like full-time ministry. And so even though he wanted to be an architect, he always felt like he couldn't be that if he really wanted to serve Jesus. But I believe Jesus put that desire and the skill and the ability to be an architect in him from the time he was born. And he has called him to be an architect for the glory of God and to design buildings for the glory of God and to conduct his business as an architect in such a way that it stands out in the middle of darkness. And you have callings and giftings and abilities. You have businesses. You have careers. Those are not, there's no difference between a secular career and, and like a people who are really serving Jesus full time. We are all called to live our lives to the glory of God. He, we're told in the New Testament, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. And he has called us as believers to be, for lack of a better term, an army of people who are living life, using their talents and abilities, their careers, for his glory. So if you build buildings, if you're an attorney, if you are work at a bank, whatever you do, if you play music at restaurants, after hours, along the beach, you can do that 
for the glory of God. <laughs> That's, that should excite you. It turns whatever you do tomorrow when you show up Monday morning or whatever you do, it turns it into a holy thing. And God will use that light that shines out from you and that light that shines out from us collectively to stand out for people. And that allows us opportunity whenever we do share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. It gives, it, it makes good soil for that seed to find because they're looking at your life and they're seeing that you live a whole different kind of life. So God has called us to use our natural gifts, our natural talents, our natural abilities for his glory. But let's also look. I'm not going to take. Um, let's look at Romans 12. So he's given us natural gifts, natural talents, and natural abilities and inclinations to serve him. But he was also um, gives us another way. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And this is Paul that's writing for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, he's going to, Paul uses this terminology a lot, this picture of us being a body together. For as in one body, we have many members. So you have fingers and hands and arms and legs and bones and Muscles and tendons and all the parts that make up your body. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of service with the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So, we're going to go on in a second. But here's the picture that he's given. He's saying, we are, we are a body together of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're a community of believers together. And the way that God ministers to you and ministers to me and ministers to you and you is by manifesting or showing his spirit through each other. So we all have gifts. Some of us have maybe a lot of gifts. Some of us have one or a few gifts. We have certain abilities, certain things that we bring to the table. But when we all come together, God says that he shows his presence and his power in our midst by the way in which we serve each other with these gifts. So I come to the table as being a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of a community group. I'm a part of the larger church here or somewhere else. And I come to the table with particular gifts that God has given me. And I say, God, use these gifts 
to serve, to show yourself to the body that I'm a part of here. And you come to the table as well with the gifts and abilities that you have and you say, God, use these gifts and abilities to serve the body together. And so together, we get a picture, not through me, of who Jesus is. We get a picture together of who Jesus is. So when we all come to him together with our weaknesses, but also we come together with the gifts that he's given us, and we serve one another in love that he shows who he is. Verse 8, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To, I don't have the time to go through what these each are, but just read and get a picture. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he will. So the picture is, as we come together and we're part of a community together, that he, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our midst, shows up and ministers to each other through the gifts that he manifests himself in our midst, the gifts that we bring to the table. And he goes on after that, for just as one, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, the many are one body, so it is Christ. He's given again that picture of the body that we're all different parts. When we bring us all together, that's how we serve each other. That's how he shows himself in his fullness. And we'll look at one more um, one more example in Ephesians chapter 4. If I only do one more, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to use. Okay, well, let's, let's look at first Peter 4, I'm sorry. We're gonna do that one. The point I want to make out of Ephesians is in Ephesians 4, Paul says that God's given Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the building up of the saints for the work of the ministry. And again, it's just Peter's painting a picture that he didn't call like the professional clergy to do the ministry, and like the rest of us are just kind of, you know, half Christians or three quarters serving God or half serving God, kind of depending on how much we volunteer at church. No, he says that the the reason he gave pastors is to equip the rest of us to do the work of the ministry. That's the one, that, those are the ones he's called to do the work. That's how he shows his glory. That's how he shows who he is and his beauty in our community. That's, that's how we, it's not like one, it's not a, he didn't say we're a lighthouse. In the darkness, where it's just one, one like supercharged light that's just like shooting light all over the place. He said, We're a city 
made up of a lot of different people, a lot of different houses, a lot of different windows. We put put us together. That's the ones that are doing the work of the ministry. And then look at First Peter. And just think about, well, let's First Peter four eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So the picture there is that we are serving one another. Can you imagine what it would look like in a world that's full of selfishness and greed and people looking out for number one if they look into a community of people who are loving and serving one another sacrificially and God's presence is in their midst and among them to minister to each other and live a life on mission. Can you imagine how compelling that must be? That's why at the very beginning of the church, after the Holy Spirit comes and there's 3,000 people become believers on the very first day, it says that after that, that the Lord added to their number day by day those were, those were being saved. Why? Because it describes the kind of life that they were living, a, a life of sacrificial love for each other. In the empire of Rome, the Christians were considered a very dangerous group of people. They didn't quite understand why these people were, why they, because they were talking about this guy dying and talking about, you know, his, his blood. It is kind of confusing, right? On this crucifixion, Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for our sins. It's kind of, when you're on the outside looking in, it's just like kind of weird, right? And so they didn't understand it. And so they just like, these are weirdos over here. But there was a plague that broke out in the Roman Empire. And it was so terrible that when a family member would get sick, the rest of the household would either leave the whole house or they would actually take that person's body and throw it out into the street because the the disease was so catching and so horrible. But the Christians would stay in the city and they would collect the bodies on the street. And if they found somebody in a home suffering, they would go in and serve them and love them. They couldn't heal them. Many of them died, but they served them and loved them to the end. And in fact, many Christians, while doing that, caught the plague themselves and themselves died. But it was that life of sacrificial love and service that caused the Roman Empire to start to look at Christians differently. If they were willing to suffer and love joyfully, but yet sacrificially, then there must be something different about Jesus. There must be something different. Just as I've become a believer and kept a believer and grow as a believer only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. So the church was born, is kept, and is empowered for its mission of making disciples 
only through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit among the people of God. So he's called us to join him on this mission. In Jerusalem, that's the Grand Strand. In Judea, that's the surrounding area, Ori County, the coastal region, whatever. To Samaria, that's like kind of, you know, kind of a different group. That would be like, you know, whatever. You know, they're kind of different down in Charleston. You know, they're kind of a different culture down there. Like, also go to Charleston and then to the end of the world. That's a pretty big mission that Jesus has called us to be a part of. But the really amazing thing is he's given us the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst in order to accomplish that mission. Jesus called me to help to plant this church. Not to plant the church, but to help plant this church. And that scared my boxers off. I will be honest with you. And it still does. It is a daunting task to think. Because I'm not trying just to build a crowd. I'm trying to see people come to know Jesus who don't already know him. I want to be a part of making disciples. I want to be a part of the 330,000 people in the Grand Strand. Many, many, over 60% of which who do not know Jesus. I want to see them come to know him. And worship him like I have come to know him and worship him. I want the over 9,000 students at Coastal Carolina University, less than 2% of which are Christians. I want them, all the Guidos from New Jersey that go to school there, all the people from New York that are going there. I want them to know and to love and to worship Jesus like I have come to know and love and worship him as well. But that is a daunting task. I have no idea how to do it. But here is my, my the, the, the pillow that I lay my head on at night. Whenever I'm not sure about this whole thing. On days where I wonder, this is a really crazy thing. I own a business. I could just keep on like being like leading that business, having a family, just having a really cool, comfortable life. Why in the world am I doing this? Here is the comfort and here's the reminder that comes to me that God has sent his holy presence, his Holy Spirit to live in me and among me. He has called his Holy Spirit in our midst. He sent him in our midst to empower us and enable us and compel us on mission. I don't go alone. I'm not even blazing a trail. God's Holy Spirit himself is working. He is building his church. I'm not building his church. He hasn't called you to build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he's doing that today through the presence and power of the person of the Holy Spirit right now on the Grand Strand. Right now. And he's called, all he's called me to do is to join him and obey him and find joy in joining him in that mission. And that's the whole thing. Our mission statement at Doxa is to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. Here's the secret of the Christian life. When I live a life of sacrificial love and service, it's not a drudgery. I don't have to grip my teeth like hoping that this earns me something in heaven. I already have everything Jesus purchased for me on the cross. That empowers me to find joy and to be able to serve him in any way I possibly can. 
And, and I, hope, I hope that is the pillow that you rest on at night. I hope that's the comfort that you find tomorrow. I hope that's what makes, whether you, when you show up at the hospital tomorrow and you're dispensing drugs to people, I hope that's what gives meaning to what you're doing. When, when you meet with the, your clients and you're figuring out how to defend them or what you're going to do in these tough situations and you're having to deal with people and you're wondering, is this worth it? I hope that's what gives meaning to every conversation that you have and every, every document that you have to draw and the mundane things that you have to do in life. When you're raising your children at home, whenever you're teaching kids and you're just like, at school and you want to pull your hair out, that's what gives meaning and purpose to your life. The mission that he has called us to join him in and the fact that the presence and power of his Holy Spirit is in you and is among us to do that. And it's not you going out alone, but you're a part of a community of people who are doing that. And that's what we want to build at DOXA. We want to build a community of people who are deeply sharing life together and giving their life to mission and service to the glory of God. And what we're going to come out with on the other side, I don't know what it'll look like. We're going to have lots of cool, amazing stories of things that he's done in you, things that he's going to do through you, and people that have come to know Jesus because you're living that kind of life on mission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for your gospel. Thank you for that it is good news to me that I was once alienated from you because of my because of my sin. But by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, where you bore my sin for me, I have been brought near to grace by faith in his finished work on my behalf. Father, whenever I, I think about that, when we think about that, the only response that we can have is, is worship. It may be at times where I'm so overcome with my own sinfulness and the goodness of Jesus that I don't have words. All I can do is stand silently before a holy, loving God who I can now call Father. Sometimes it may be shouts of joy. Sometimes it may be tears of joy. God, that has to compel us. If we, if we truly get it, if that penny is dropping in our hearts, it, it has to compel us on mission. Not because we have to, not because we're obligated to, but because we get to. I can, the way I search titles tomorrow and the way I, I'm a pharmacist or a teacher or an attorney or a stay-at-home mom tomorrow gives meaning and 
purpose for what I'm doing, that I'm doing it for your kingdom and your glory. I'm using the natural gifts and talents that you've given me. I'm giving the spiritual gifts and talents that you've given me in the body of Christ and out in the world to shine a light that they would see you and know you for your, your beauty. I pray you would make us this not yet birthed baby of Dr. Church, that you would make us into a community of people who are joyfully, sacrificially living life of service and purpose. By doing so, we're following after our Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray.
One is if you are on our email list, I'm going to email.